Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Roger that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. It's been 40 years since the Stevenson family was murdered. I'm in southern Ohio, in the middle of nowhere, scaling a crunchy snowbank, walking carefully up a steep hill I cannot even see over, working my way toward a gravesite in the tiny village of Nivelle. I'm here to meet Shannon Grube, Carol Thompson's 43-year-old daughter. Shannon! Shannon was only three and a half at the time of the fire, still remembers watching the bodies of family members being carried out of the Stevenson's burning house. How's it going? Really good. On this day with me, Shannon appears poised and very quiet, but also quite calm. I can tell she lives with a degree of acceptance, but at the same time, disbelief at the absence of complete justice. Shannon contacted me in 2016, desperate to put an end to the wondering, all the unanswered questions and suffering of those left behind. 
She spent the past two decades conducting an investigation herself into what happened. Somewhere around the 10-year mark, Shannon caught a break. The local sheriff's department handed over thousands of pages of official documents, actual evidence from the case, and an old-school reel-to-reel recording along with 18 cassette tapes filled with hours of audio from the investigation as it unfolded in real time, some of which you'll hear throughout this podcast. Still, as close as she's gotten, Shannon hasn't been able to find those answers she and her mother need most. My mom was very, very paranoid growing up. Um, very moody. <laughs> She's gotten a lot better. But, you know, when I was younger, you know, she, she, she'd snap and go off. And don't get me wrong, I was Shannon's mom, Carol Thompson, was 19 at the time of the murders. After helping her parents sell fireworks throughout the busy 1981 July 4th weekend, Carol said goodbye to her family on that July 5th night. And she headed to her own home. But in the early hours of the next morning, the fire that ravaged the Stevenson house revealed the horror inside. Her stepfather, Billy Stevenson, her mother, Linda, her five-year-old brother, Billy Jr., and her 30-year-old uncle, Eddie Dowell, were all dead. Police would quickly learn that what was initially considered a terrible accident was actually the scene of a quadruple homicide. I think it has serious impact on her, it really. Relationship-wise and just people-wise and... It gave her real trust issues. That's one of the side effects of tragedy. A silent, simmering PTSD most people don't even realize is impacting their lives. As anxiety and anger bubble underneath the surface, it creates a chasm where life can sometimes become, if not dealt with, this toxic slide into the past, a seemingly endless cycle of trauma. Carol's whereabouts the night of the murders was questioned by law enforcement but dismissed after she was able to prove she had been at home all night. In conversations, Carol has revealed to me that she often finds herself driving by her family's old house, looking for some sort of conclusion and antidote to all the pain. She does not want to die without knowing who is responsible for murdering her entire family. Previously on Paper Ghosts. My brother says, Carol, something's up. They're not telling us everything. That is not a fire. There is too much blood. Well, when Deputy Creighton went in, he observed right then that several of them had bull wounds to the head. Uh, so we knew it was a homicide. It, it was, the fire was set after the homicide to destroy evidence. A lot of people had been telling Mom and Steve, you know, hey, you know, you need to be careful, man. You know, you're flashing all this money. You're wearing all these jewels. Y'all need to be careful. My name is M. William Phelps. This is season two of Paper Ghosts Burned. The days between Memorial Day and July 4th are considered the height of fireworks season. For Billy Stevenson, it was a time of the year when he made the bulk of his wealth, 98% of which was in cash. I've heard stories of Billy often flaunting his success, showing off a suitcase or leather bag stuffed with gold, jewelry, and banded bills. 
In the days leading up to the fire, an incident took place at one of the Stevenson's fireworks stands that has me wondering if maybe Billy had shown off that money to the wrong person. And if the executions and subsequent fire were set in motion by what had happened. I was working at the shop and I had stocked it, restocked it, heavy, heavy, heavy stock. Much more than I should have stocked it, but we all knew it's it's July 2nd. So I knew that we were going to be really busy, so I overstocked. Carol Thompson, Billy Stevenson's stepdaughter and Linda's eldest, ran one of the busier fireworks stands. A trailer, about the size of half a semi, parked along Route 125 in Claremont County. So I'm at the back of the truck, checking things, making sure everything's okay, making sure the stock's out. The truck is packed full of customers. And I take a step and I hear behind me, no, no, don't do that. What are you doing? No, don't do that. And I thought, oh, great. Somebody's trying to rip, you know, somebody's going to rip me off. Somebody's going to stick a case of fireworks down their pants or something, right? As I turn, I see the guy light with with a lighter. I see he's got a aero bomb in his hand, a three-shot aerial bomb as he strikes the lighter. And I'm probably six feet away from him. No, maybe a little more. Seven feet away from him. I take one step back because I want, you know, I'm going to try and grab it before it goes, you know, before. And as I take the step, he drops the bomb forward, pointing it like a gun to the fireworks table. The table that is covered with all the restock under the table. And I, before I can make a move, the first shot goes off. And as soon as it hits, I see whoosh out about four or five feet of diameter of fire. And all I can think is, holy shit, we're all going to die. I immediately start screaming, get them off the truck. Everybody off the truck, everybody off. And I'm like trying to shove and, and I can't stop the fire. Eddie is in the front, my uncle Eddie. And I'm screaming at Eddie, Eddie, fire extinguisher. I gotta have fire extinguisher. Carol's uncle, Eddie Dowell, was in town for the summer, helping out at the family's fireworks stands. I'm told he came south to avoid marriage trouble back home and could have been involved in things over his head. Dangerous games. Eddie was outside when the guy sparked his lighter and ignited that firebomb, and he quickly rushed into the trailer as soon as he heard Carol yelling. So he shoves me out of the way. He runs straight back with fire extinguisher. As he is headed back there, I see him kick the kid that had done it. And I see the kid hit the floor. And Eddie grabs the guy who's now knocked out. He's unconscious. And he drags him out by the feet. Literally. He's dragging him all the way through, you know, the semi. And off the truck. And we get everybody off the truck. As those fireworks ignite, one after the other, and the most awesome fireworks display of the year begins taking place along the roadside of Route 125, the entire trailer goes up in flames. Fire trucks are coming, but now fireworks are going off, and I'm watching across the street as the cars are pulling off the side of the road to watch the fireworks display. (laughs) Okay, they're like, wow, free firework display. (laughs) 
and the fireworks were ricocheting and they're firing off in here and there and they're hitting busting windows all open down the street and I mean it was bad I mean fireworks were shooting sky high so who would light up one of Billy Stevenson's fireworks stands just days before the year's biggest weekend of sales was it simply some punk ass kid messing around or could it have been the work of Billy's competition Someone who stood to gain from Billy's loss. I'm thinking James Wright. I told him immediately. He was our competitor. He was the one that Steve was always in a competition with against the fireworks. On July 5th, the night before the Stevensons were murdered, Carol was getting ready to close up her fireworks stand when she took a call from a business associate named Jim Riley. He told Carol he'd drop by to settle his bill. According to documents I've received, Jim Riley owed Billy Stevenson $13,000. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And for a limited time, get more fun for less with the Michigan Bundle for just $49.99. Exclusive to Michigan residents only. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this bundle won't last long. Save now at cedarpoint.com. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. There's a lot happening these days. But I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. Jim Riley was a local guy many considered Billy Stevenson's business rival. A businessman himself, involved in everything from construction to retail, 
Jim is one of those tell-it-like-it-is guys, I soon discover. But at the same time, also quite careful about what he says. Jim followed a similar course to Billy, buying and selling gold and silver, and also retailing fireworks at roadside stands near the Stevenson's busy trailers. In fact, Jim had been cutting into Billy's business. In talking to people around town, as well as sifting through all the documentation, I didn't have a clear picture of who Jim Riley actually was. After all, a lot of the information in this case was coming from people who had a lot to lose, not to mention a lot to gain. So I tracked Jim down and have to admit I was pleasantly surprised by how willing he was to talk about Billy Stevenson. He used to bring, uh, he's a truck driver. He used to bring in things from Mexico and he started bringing in those uh, felt paintings. Billy brought most of those in. I mean, trucks loads of that stuff. And he would bring in uh, drugs with it. I think back then it was uh, mostly marijuana. That's a bold claim. But as Jim talks it through, it feels to me like he was a guy in the know at the time, not just some dude in town hearing rumors and conjecture. And if what Jim says is accurate, that kind of intel within a case of this magnitude has the potential to change the dynamic of my reinvestigation. I can talk about it now, the guy's gone, but he brought in drugs with him. That's how he accumulated a little bit of money. I don't think they checked them trucks or whatever he put it in. Early in his career, Billy drove a truck between Mexico and the United States, hauling merchandise for resale. Jim is spot on when he says border crossing checks were a bit laxer then. Despite his fireworks business rivalry with Billy, Jim's wife Wanda was good friends with the Stevensons. Jim, on the other hand, says he preferred to keep his distance. I didn't really care for it too much because they made me a little nervous. They were very flamboyant people with their wealth. Like, for instance, when we got done, uh, when, it, when the fourth was over the next day, I, said, I went in to see how he did. And he said, oh, I did good. I did real good. How'd you do? And I said, yeah, it was one of my better years. And he says, come on out here to the car. And he had uh, a Lincoln Continental and, and uh, went back there and he opened the trunk up and he had one of these old-time leather cases um, or suitcases. He opens it up and it's completely full of money. And I, I stepped back and I said, what the hell? I said, how much money you got in there? He says, over 400000 And I says, what are you doing, man? He says, I, I just like, I accumulated all during the season, and I'm going to uh, exchange most of it for diamonds. He was in the diamonds, and his wife was in that jewelry. And I says, wow, man. I don't know. I don't carry that kind of money around. I think you're nuts. Listening to Jim makes me think there was, at the least, an elevated level of trust and respect between him and Billy Stevenson. Linda's brother, Eddie Dowell, on the other hand, left a much different impression on Jim. 
he was just a punk as far as I'm concerned. And uh, he considered us just outright competitors and that Billy shouldn't have nothing to do with us. And, and, and like I say, that goddamn brother of hers coming down there, uh, you know, real guns around in your face. It ain't my thing. And uh, at one time, uh, there was some pretty bad blood going on for a while. I mean, uh, when it first started, I mean, he put a place, I put one in front of him, and beyond, I, it, it was getting out of hand, and it, that that goddamn punk threatening us with guns and shit, that, that got out of hand really fast. And, and my dad, who's gone now, uh, he, he had balls of steel, and he went up there right in the lion's den, and, uh, you know, and he's the one that said, look, and we ain't going away. You ain't going away. Why don't we just work together and put this shit behind? I mean, this is nonsense. And Billy is one of them guys who says, hey, it makes sense to me. This was when Billy came up with the business smarts to go to Jim Riley and say, look, I sell you fireworks at wholesale prices. You don't mess around in open stands near me. We can both make money. Jim Riley agreed. Why fight when you can split the immense amount of profit selling fireworks offered? According to Jim, the margins then were in the thousand percent range. There was enough money to go around. And from then on, we became friends, but uh, not that, not, not a brother. He, he was just one of them tough guys, you know, and, you know, wanting to, you look at him and he wants to kick your ass. More than competitors, which is a strong enough motive alone, there was a larger issue, far more personal rattling the framework of all of this, at least from where Jim Riley stood. Because, you see, Eddie Dowell, Linda's brother, well, he was having an affair with Jim Riley's wife. I had also heard and read in some of the FBI reports that Eddie was kind of after your wife at the time, Wanda. Was that true? Uh, yeah, I don't like that. Yeah, yeah, that didn't go too good. What happened with that? Well... You know, we argued about it, you know, and she she says there's nothing to it, just trying to be friendly, but I never bought it. You thought maybe there was something going on between them? Yeah, probably was, you know, now that I look it back. Sometimes you try, yeah, you have two children. I came from a divorced family. You sometimes look, away, look the other way when you don't want to, you don't want your kids to come from a broken home, you know? Well, that is true. But then taking out the guy sleeping with your wife and your business rival at the same time is, I am thinking, a good way to end things as well. Jim, did you know that within the first 12 hours after they discover that this is a murder, that uh, you're like their prime suspect? Did they question you or anything? (laughs) That's because that goddamn daughter of hers, I'm coming up the hill, you know, the, the house is smoldering, and I don't know exactly what all is went down here as I'm walking up the hill. That damn little bitch says, there he is, he murdered him, he murdered him. I'll never forget that. And, uh, whoa, I put my hands up, I said, hey, what the hell? I don't know where that came from. But, you know, I, I, it wasn't me. I didn't have it. 
Jim ultimately never showed up that night to settle the bill he called Carol about. Despite one report from Jim Riley's brother-in-law that Jim wasn't home on the night of the murders and did not return until the next morning, Jim Riley had an alibi. His wife Wanda told police he was at home with her the entire night. In talking to Jim Riley, I get the feeling, a strong feeling, that this guy has nothing to hide. Quite notably, when it came to how both he and Billy Stevenson obtained the fireworks they sold. If he owed anybody money, I don't know about it. I just know who he was dealing with. Because in the fireworks business that I was involved in, I dealt with, we call them the mob or the mafia, whatever you want to say. Uh, I remember talking about him and uh, he's going to, He's going to get himself into some shit sooner or later. He just can't be sloppy like he was. He was a likable guy, too. I don't know why he just couldn't behave himself. For several years, I've heard hearsay and innuendo about an organized crime connection to the murders. But here is someone who worked with Billy Stevenson directly, stating it on the record. So when you were speaking with your organized crime friends, they were, you know, they were well aware of Billy. They were aware of Billy. Yeah. And was Billy buying his fireworks from them as well? Uh, he was. Would he always pay his debts? Yeah, he did. And I would know that. I'm going to tell you, I know that because I dealt with all 46 locations in Ohio. And uh, I, I knew where all the fireworks mostly came from. Yeah, he, he 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 didn't want to not pay pay his bill. That's for sure. Because lot those are the kind of guys you you, you should pay, right? <laughs> no, these are the kind of guys you will pay. <laughs> That's all I can tell you. That part. When you're looking into cold cases and your goal is finding answers for the victim's family, the urge to purposely ignore information that has the potential to cast a bad light on a murder victim is always there. It's a tough line to walk. For one, Billy, Linda, Billy Jr., and Eddie, they never asked for any of this. They are victims, despite what kind of lives they might have led. I served surviving family members no purpose if they or I are unwilling to accept the truth, whatever it is. If Billy Stevenson was allegedly dealing and trafficking in drugs or running illegal fireworks for organized crime, that's a tenuous, dangerous bed of hot coals to walk across. One wrong move, one debt left unpaid. And any room for forgiveness by those holding the cards disappears like dust. As it turned out, the young guy who set off all the fireworks in the Stevenson's trailer just days before the house fire was some punk messing around. He was eventually arrested and charged. Still... I asked Jim if he thought the mafia was behind the Stevenson homicides. Look, uh, that's, that's how the mob works. They don't leave anybody. No, they're not going to leave a witness. They're not going to leave a nothing. And you forget the main thing. They're going to set an example. You owe us money. You fuck us. You're done.
Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And for a limited time, get more fun for less with the Michigan Bundle for just $49.99. Exclusive to Michigan residents only. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this bundle won't last long. Save now at cedarpoint.com. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Hey, it's Danielle, Will, and Ryder from Pod Meets World. Thanks to our friends at Hyundai, we were able to record a very special episode for you guys at the one and only, wait for it... Boy Meets World House. Take a listen. We are lucky to be sitting with Alan and Amy Matthews in the flesh, William, Rusty Russ, and Betsy Randall. Yay! Thank you. Thank you. When those those legends get here, let me know. (laughs) (laughs) You're here. You're here already. No, uh, we didn't either when we were watching yeah, this that's day. The that's we didn't the problem. realize it until we uh, started getting into seasons three and four, and now we're like, oh my God. You were both so good on the show, and we missed it because we were we young. We were kids and, and so self-involved. Egomaniacs yeah. and didn't realize <laughs> well, no, how great you were. We've talked about it. I think you just assumed everybody was as good as them. And, right. and then right. you get into, right. as you grow up and you work with other actors, you realize how <gasps> lucky we were yeah. to have you guys. This has been brought to you by the fully electric Hyundai Ionic 5. New episode out now. You can listen wherever you get your podcasts. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans. And yet there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the campaign moment right now, wherever you're listening. One murder is hard enough to solve. Four, including a child, occurring in the same location at the same time. That's an entirely different investigative beast to wrestle. You have to look closely at the individuals, each victim separately. The possibility exists of a hidden motive. After all, the person or persons who walked into the Stevenson's house on July 6th because there was no sign of forced entry could have come to retaliate or settle a score with Billy, Linda, or even Linda's brother, Eddie Dowell. Shortly after the crime scene had been cleared by the sheriff's department, Carol Thompson was allowed to enter her family's house. 
as she talked me through this horrific memory. She was back in that space and time, actually feeling once again what had happened. A terrible recollection from 40 years ago, as fresh in her mind today as it ever was. They let me go through the house relatively soon, as soon as I got the fire out. The first room I came to would have been the living room, Little Billy's couch, and the cushion was missing. The middle cushion was missing. And I remember thinking, who sleeps in the middle of the couch? Kids don't sleep in the middle of the couch. They sleep on end. Carol's right. People generally tend to sleep on the ends of couches, not in the middle. And it's those small yet perceptive observations like this one that open up possibilities to look at cold cases in a different way. The slightest detail can make the biggest difference. Could this mean Billy Jr. was awake, scared for his life, when he was killed? And then I walk into the kitchen. Now, the kitchen's been heavily burnt. One of the primary points of fire is my mother's body. Actually, it started in several places. A little, well, what they did is they poured a little gas upstairs, third floor. Little gas, second floor. Gas through the first floor. But they stuck primarily to the kitchen and my mom's body. And I, you can look down on the floor and you can see the outline of where her body was. To the point where I could see that she raised a hand. I could see it. It was almost like you see those chalk outlines. It literally was like that. But it was from the debris that had fallen on top of her because she was in the room that actually took the most damage. Eddie was sitting with a plate of food in front of me. And my mom was at the stove. And there was meat in the skillet. I saw it with my own eyes. And I know her purse was sitting there with the gun. So she wasn't threatened. From what she's been told by a close law enforcement source, along with her own novice analysis of the crime scene photos, Carol has remained adamant that her mother was tied up and possibly tortured before being executed. If true, it spoke to a potential theory that Billy and Linda knew their killer or killers very well. So to this day, I don't know. I do not know. Could she have been? Yeah. If that's the case, they held Eddie at gunpoint. Well, here's the thing I don't know. about that. If she was, it would have been in the reports. There's no reason to no. keep it out. They wouldn't have known. How, they, would, how would they have not have known? Because rope burns. She was incinerated. I explained to Carol that within my reinvestigation, I could say affirmatively, without any doubt, that her mother was not tied up and beaten before she was murdered. Autopsy reports show Linda Stevenson was shot twice in the head. It's clear she was dead before her body was burned. But for victims' families, accepting the truth, that can become too much to bear sometimes. Carol, as you can hear, still wasn't convinced. Her hands were gone. Her feet were gone. Which is how I know that it wasn't her foot sticking out from the... It was my uncle's. She had her feet like her brother. But yeah, so her feet were burnt. One of her legs was burnt almost all the way off. It was up to the knee, I think. And her hands uh, were gone. She, she has about, I guess, from here down is gone. And her whole body was burned? Yep. Was it in puglistic posture? Meaning, well, meaning 
Like this? More like hogtied, like that. She was laying on her stomach. If the body goes into a puglistic posture when it's burned. So it curls up like a... Well, she was curled up. Yeah. From the stomach up, but she was a heavy woman. So... It curls up. Trying to bend your back up, your arms back, is not easy on a heavy woman. But yet her hands were... What would like be this. the reason for them to tie her up? Linda was dangerous. I mean, she was. She would pull a gun on you and just shoot you. She did not even need to think about it. With her mother and Uncle Eddie's bodies both found in the kitchen, Carol felt the two of them were killed around the same time. Police developed the same theory. Carol figured five-year-old Billy Jr. was awakened by the shots in the next room and became the next victim as the killer or killers had to walk past him in order to get to the master bedroom where arguably their biggest threat, Billy Sr., was located. Why do you think Billy was in his bedroom? You know, that's the biggest question that I've always had. And I know Steve slept naked. So did he have a robe on at some point or was he getting his robe or was he in the shower maybe? Those things I, I can't answer. I don't know the answer. I would love to know. Remember that Billy Sr., often called Steve by his friends and family, was found dead inside the bathroom. He was naked, with six gunshot wounds. What Carol recalls most about the crime scene is the bloodshed. So the first thing I see is blood on the mirror. And I can see blood all the way back. You know, there's blood spewed here on the mirror. It's a flash of blood. And I can tell that Steve's taking shots from this ang from this point. We know Steve was found in the bathroom, so I see the blood here on the mirror, and then I can see it looks like he's being forced back from the gunshots. And as he hits the bathroom doorway, he puts his hand up, and there's a handprint and blood, and then it straight yep, down the wall as he fell. You could see it. Going back to speculation that the mob could have been involved, organized crime murders are generally clean, quick, without any camouflage whatsoever. You either never hear about them or on the flip side, it's very clear who did it so as to send a direct message. It was obvious to Detective Tom Cooper, the lead investigator on the case, that there was surprise and chaos involved in the Stevenson murders. And to burn the house down? That was done purely to cover up the homicides. The way they, the Stevensons were killed, there was execution style on all of them. Each one of the victims had a gunshot wound to the head. So, five-year-old Billy Stevenson Jr., was he shot at close range or was it a stray bullet that killed him? I had heard the stray bullet theory that during a possible OK Corral-style shootout between Billy Sr., Linda, her brother Eddie, and their killer, or killers, an erratic, unintentional bullet went through a wall and struck the child in the head. This could be a plausible explanation for a five-year-old being killed during a multiple murder situation. It kind of made sense, in theory. It wasn't a stray bullet. I mean, he was shot in the back of the head on the couch. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's no way it could be a stray bullet. And it there was, was Stippling. Stippling is an important forensic piece of this case. Think of Stippling as small dots of black, like perhaps taking a pencil and tapping the point of it against a sheet of paper 
in a circle about the size of a half dollar. When someone is shot at close range, within two feet, unburned particles of gunpowder akin to soot spray onto the skin. This is sometimes referred to as strike. Stippling found on skin cannot be wiped away. It's very similar to a stain. The presence of it indicates the person was shot at close range within that two feet. The tighter the stippling or smaller the circle brings that range even closer. Billy Jr. had a small circle of obvious stippling, soot traveling a very short distance from the barrel of his killer's weapon to the skin on his head. I saw the crime scene photos myself. That child was executed. No stray bullet accidentally hit Billy Jr. The only consolation, if there ever could be one, is the hope that Billy was sleeping at the time he was murdered. And what's interesting, I think, is there's two different caliber bullets you guys begin finding, right? 22 and a 38. Coincidentally, these are the same caliber weapons I'm told Jim Riley often carried and drove around with at all times. A Smith & Wesson Featherweight 38 or Smith & Wesson 22 caliber pistol. But then perhaps probably half the county did as well. What does that tell you as a cop? Uh, that lends us to think two shooters. Two people walk in, brandish weapons, begin firing, executing an entire family. From there, it becomes a question of why? In the next episode of Paper Ghosts. So we started calling and it just rang, 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 no answer. Uh, later that evening, uh, I was at home watching the news and the news flash was there was a family that was killed and, uh, and burned in a, in a house. And the name was the same as the name I was calling. I was so, so ashamed of myself, really for even thinking that, because I really did believe it was him. I would have laid down my soul that it was him. To start with, we have been trained to conduct investigative analysis, and along with my count, that will allow you to see everything that's possible to see. Ten. Paper Ghosts is written and executive produced by me, M. William Phelps, and iHeart executive producer, Christina Everett, with script consultant, Matthew Riddle. Audio editing and mixing by Abu Zafar. Thanks to Will Pearson at iHeartRadio. The series theme, number 442, is written and performed by Thomas Phelps and Tom Mooney. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And for a limited time, get more fun for less with the Michigan Bundle for just $49.99. Exclusive to Michigan residents only. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry because this bundle won't last long. Save now at cedarpoint.com. 
I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. With the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom to do your deal. Whether you want to enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas, and more, or simply soak up the sun and sand in a tropical paradise, Cheap Caribbean Vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book the exact getaway you want at exactly the right price for you by using our exclusive budget beach finder. Or find a featured all-inclusive package to Ocean by H10 Hotels and do your deal at CheapCaribbean.com. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org.